Hello, everybody, and welcome to Feeling Seen, the podcast that talks about the movies that make us feel seen. Today's co-host is an actor who's currently starring on the Apple TV Plus series For All Mankind, which will have its season three premiere this June. She also hosts the show's official companion podcast. She has brought us a fascinating trio of characters to discuss today. Kate Winslet's Clementine from Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, a millennial tentpole, Diane Keaton's titular Annie Hall, and Bjork's Selma from, wait for it, Dancer in the Dark. Gear up, ladies and gentlemen. Why those three characters? That's the kind of question we live for here at Feeling Seen. So look forward to that in just a moment. And then afterwards, as you know, at the very end, I will have one quick thing to say, and this time I'm going to say it about The Northmen, which is uh, now playing in theaters and I'm thrilled about. So let's stick around for a bit of chatter about The Northmen after. But that's all the preamble that I've got for you today. Let's get to my conversation with Chris Marshall. Chris Marshall. Hi, Jordan. Hello. You might know her from For All Mankind, where she plays the vaunted astronaut Danielle Poole. And I I suppose I should make sure to say that For All Mankind, your show, it is it's essentially sort of an alternative like future past Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. of like what would have happened if the Russians had like matched the United States in the space race and that space race had continued in earnest intensely after like it's not just like America we made it to the moon we did it huzzah Mm -hmm. we were in the space race but that competition stayed in place Mm -hmm. and the sort of fruits of that scientific discovery and exploration Mm -hmm. if that had happened is that accurate to say that's more accurate than I've ever said it thank you Jordan (laughs) I hope I can write that down and use it later and claim it (laughs) no feel free feel free (laughs) uh, public domain and and who is Daniel character for the folks at home in the For All Mankind story? Um, Daniel Poole is the um, black female astronaut Mm -hmm. in the early class of this group of female astronauts who the president says, okay, you know, the Russians beat us to the moon. Let's beat them by putting a woman up there. Mm -hmm. And so the, like you just said, the the space race continues. So initially, um, Danielle is brought into our world as a token, Mm -hmm. which is not that far off from my experience as a black woman living and working in Hollywood, you know? Um, And it's tough, you know, because you have to say to yourself, is my pride in knowing that I'm here to serve this sort of purpose, is my pride going to inhibit the fact that I'm still in this room? Yeah. I'm still at this table. I'm still able to tell this part of the story. um, And can I set that pride aside to just be excited and joyful that I have this opportunity? And so we're watching Danielle kind of find her way in this environment where she's um, sort of second fiddle in a lot of ways. Mm. You know, I think she's trying to assert herself without being too domineering and she's trying to be polite without being a pushover. And so, um, you know, hopefully your audience will have a chance to watch the show. I won't give away too much from um, the show. But your third season is what's coming up. Exactly. Our third season is what's coming up. Mm -hmm. Um, But the crazy thing about our show is that the audience is still finding it along the way. Mm. You know, I think that's sort of different from network TV versus streaming is Mm. folks oftentimes don't find a show until two or three seasons in. I mean, I I just finished Ozark. I'm like one of those people who hadn't ever seen Ozark until about four weeks ago. I think and then housed it in the course of a month. I remember what it was, I don't remember if it was season three or season four of Ozark when suddenly I started hearing about Ozark all of the yeah. time. And then mm-hmm. I was like, wait, we're multiple seasons into the show that suddenly mm-hmm. everybody is all over. Mm-hmm. I t- that totally makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So um, so Danielle is finding her way. And then the same is occurring through season two where she's beginning to realize like there are external pressures on me for um, being the female astronaut, being the black female astronaut. But I also recognize that I have. Um, responsibilities to myself. Mm -hmm. I have responsibilities to um, my family. And I am going to be the best damn astronaut I can be. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to let your limitations on who you think I am get in my way. Mm -hmm. And so at the end of season two, we see her really kind of break out of the mold of trying to be the good girl and instead just doing what's right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, okay. now that we have a foundation of the character that you are currently playing in this show... I will tra- I will segue us into the what brings us here today, which is the characters <clears throat> you have brought for us to discuss. Yes. Which are sort of an antecedent um, representative characters for you. And this is 
the richest of tapestries. You oh, presented good. multiple <laughs> options. We have uh, Clementine, correct, from mm-hmm. um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Mm-hmm. Selma, Bjork's Selma from Dancer in the Dark. Great movie. Gird your emotions. Mm-hmm. And uh, Diane Keaton's titular Annie Hall in mm-hmm. Annie Hall. Mm-hmm. And I have obviously been thinking a lot about what I see as the connective tissue between these three characters. But Weirdos. What, <laughs> do you think of them as having a through line to them, or do you feel like they are representative of separate things that resonated for you? Mm. Oh, God. I mean, I think that for me, they all ring the same bell of being really young and not realizing that it was okay to be a freak. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um I grew up in the South, and I was not cool. Um, (laughs) I had crooked teeth. Um, I was goofy. I was skinny when skinny wasn't cool. (laughs) And, um, yeah, no boys noticed me or liked me, and I couldn't have been less of a nerd. And on top of all that, I was into theater. Mm -hmm. I mean, come on. Right, yeah. It's like covering yourself in raid, you know. (laughs) So I remember just being really like enthralled by movies and TV shows, which yeah. makes sense that I went on to be an actor. Um, and I'll start with um, Annie Hall because I think that might have been one of the earlier movies that I saw as a kid. Mm-hmm. We had HBO and I think that it played on HBO. And I remember just seeing Diane Keaton's character and thinking, she's like me. Obviously, I'm not a five foot ten white woman, <laughs> but she's like me in the sense that um, she's so nervous mm-hmm. and so awkward and kind of like fumbling and anxious mm-hmm. and self deprecating, but highly intelligent. Yeah, and almost like a wee bit on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And uh, she found love. Mm-hmm. Oh God, what a what a dumb thing to say, right? I mean, you say it, you play well, and then right away, I have to say you play well. Oh, oh, God, Annie. Well, oh, well. <laughs> la-di-da, la-di-da, la-la, yeah. And when I was young, I mean, even into my early 20s, I always just assumed I'll be a creative and maybe someday I'll, you know, pen a book of poetry, but I'll probably never find love because I'm a total fucking weirdo. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and I think a lot of women probably have that experience where you start to kind of pigeonhole yourself and say, you know, if I don't behave in this way or... If I don't have, if I don't dress this sort of way, or if I'm not the ideal of what I imagine society to be a woman and mm-hmm. what makes a woman sexy, um, then I just won't find love. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like, you know, resign myself to that. And so being young, I was probably like 12, um, and seeing Annie Hall and just thinking like, I love that she's sort of like toes the line between masculine and feminine, yeah. the way that she dresses. Um, I love that she is so unapologetically herself. Yeah. Um, I was hesitant, Jordan. I'm going to be full disclosure here. Please. Hesitant to talk about Annie Hall because of the, um, well, because of the fact that Woody Allen is a rapist. Yeah, yeah. Woody Allen's a sex predator. Let's just call it what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also having to reconcile in my mind that there are really incredibly talented women throughout the history Mm -hmm. of film who've made remarkable performances with men who are pieces of shit. Mm -hmm. And so if we are going to condemn every movie made by Woody Allen, Roman Polanski, Harvey Weinstein, Mm -hmm. you name it, there'll be no movies left. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it would be unfair to throw the baby out with the bathwater. So the movie means a lot to me and Annie and her sort of joie de vivre and her ability to just kind of like recklessly live and love and mm-hmm. fall miserably and then try again. <laughs> yeah. um, I just think it's really beautiful and I'm not going to let Woody Allen and his behavior steal that joy from her. Well, yeah, and it, it there is, you know, you look at that's that style that is that was pioneered by Diane Keaton that she mm-hmm. has really like sort of refined and kept stayed in the ballpark of like aesthetically her entire life. Like you look at that now and like that's some kind of like cool queer shit that she mm-hmm. was doing at the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you look at like this beautiful, delicate Diane Keaton with this sort of like cute mask thing that she's pulling off in the movie. And I would like to think of that as like a touch point for queers 
across the generations Hell to, yeah. to see this like play with dress and oh feel inspired God. to well, embody the, that in their there's lives. a reason why I, at 12 it meant a lot to me because I was like what am I feeling <laughs> what is this warmth in my loins I don't know <laughs> so yeah absolutely I think that she um you know Diane Keaton's never spoken about that aspect of yeah. her life, but whether she likes it or not, you know, yeah. it's just like a it belongs to Kate all of us Blanchett, now. right? It's like you are the queer flag, honey, whether you <laughs> like it or not. So deal with it. I think she's fine with it. Yeah, she. I don't think you wear suits like that if you're not fine with you it. You don't. Don't toy with us, Kate. You know what you're up to. <laughs> she she knows what she did. <laughs> well, and may I may I share with you what the the through line that I was seeing through, me. through these characters? Hit me. I was very like. I was watching Clementine, and I hadn't watched Eternal Sunshine in a long time, and I'd forgotten. I kind of forgotten just sort of how perfect Kate uh, Winslet was in this mm-hmm. role. Like, the, there's mm-hmm. uh, Eternal Sunshine being the story of this couple, Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet, who have gone to a medical clinic to have their memories of one another erased so they can remove the pain. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately, along with the pleasure of that time that they spent with one another in their lives, and Clementine is this sort of bombastic burst of life and color mm-hmm. and i i had never thought of her obviously really in conversation with with an annie hall but then i watching watching this thinking of annie hall and then going into dancer in the dark and seeing bjork's performance as selma there seemed to be this sort of like free spiritedness to each mm-hmm. of the characters mm-hmm. and a sort of reckless self-possession mm-hmm. in their in the way they sort of spin through the world mm. that people don't really know what to do with and as such there is sort of like this tension between sort of their purity of personality and the cynicism of the world that always mm-hmm. seems to be sort of pressing against them and they are n- never not themselves but it always it, it always kind of feels like the world can almost be an antagonist to these sorts of characters because there's just something so forward and feminine and like you said unapologetic about how they present themselves and I was like wow I'm actually seeing quite clearly this little cluster of character between mm-hmm. these three that I wouldn't have associated before and I wanted to hear what you thought about that uh I mean First of fucking all, you're so smart. It's annoying. Like, I am listening to you and I'm like, how am I going to say something worth listening to after she just said all this shit? Because uh, your feelings matter. Because your feelings are not mine. They're yours. Uh, yes. Everything you just said, yes. And I'll also say, now here I go on my, my feminist set. Oh, um, here don't. it comes. Safe space. Careful, fellas. Um, (laughs) There is something so frightening about a woman who is unpredictable. Mm -hmm. And way back in the day, those women were burned. (laughs) Um, And back before that, those women were exiled or put into forced slavery or whatever. But throughout society... And then even today, mm-hmm. you know, the world is always trying to find a way to put women in a box mm-hmm. and to remind us that we need to behave in a certain way. We need to abide by societal norms. And if we don't, then we will be on the far side called, um, you know, disgusting, unmarriable, mm-hmm. et cetera. And on the near side called um, sluts and whores mm-hmm. and, you know, a used woman all washed up. So what you're talking about, what you're, you know, it's hard to see because when we were in preparation for this conversation and thinking about the movies that meant so much to me and the the performances that meant so much to me, I really just went with my gut. Mm -hmm. Um, And I looked for there to be some connective tissue, but I think maybe I'm too close to it. Sure, sure, sure. So hearing you say this, you know, because you've got the 30,000 foot view. that That's the fun that I have with people is, is I, love I get that. to like come in from the outside and be like, what do you think of this thing? I love that. And I think, you know, I sound like I'm repeating myself, but there's so much about Kate Winslet's performance as Clementine that just feels so... It feels musical in many yeah, ways. Yeah, um, and, and Bjork as Selma is literally exactly, musical. Exactly. Um, but it feels very eruptive. Yeah. Um, tangent, I'm an Aquarius. <laughs> <laughs> Bet you didn't see that coming. Uh, I'm an Aquarius, and so I know intimately what that experience is like of being in the midst of trying to express yourself, and then you burst into tears. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And of course, the moment that a woman does that, then she's discounted as emotional and hysterical and, mm-hmm. you know, put her in an asylum. She needs a lobotomy. Yeah. Um, so you're... We really should pull out her teeth to fix this. <laughs> We should consult medicine. You know what? And pull out her teeth and probably try leeches. 
Because this is I going mean, this too is, far. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, when you watch Kate Winslet's performance in this, you can easily just say, oh, she's crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and so many people love to just summarize women and saying, oh, she's just crazy. Yeah. My ex, you know, beautiful girl, just so crazy. <laughs> um, and if we were to interview Jim Carrey's character, let's say he were a real person, he could factually say my ex is crazy and he could be right. Right. Yeah. However, mm-hmm. we're also talking about Clementine, who is just a real person who's experiencing life you know, very viscerally. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing, I guess I come back to this sort of, you know, poor Chris Marshall, she's unlovable. But I think, you know, I probably saw this movie when I was like, you know, in my, mm, I think I was maybe like in my freshman year in college. Oh, perfect time to watch mm-hmm. that movie. Wow. Yeah. Sure. And I, you know, of course, at that point, it had, you know, numerous miniature heartbreaks that you know, made me want to die, <laughs> yes, right? And just like, you know, those, those black and white marble <laughs> yeah. notebooks just filled to the brim with, you know, my name with this person's last yeah, name. Yeah, people pull and those out, you know, it's serious business exactly, inside. Exactly, right, exactly. Um, and so that resi- that resounded, that that it made reverberations all throughout my, my little young teenage bones yeah. of feeling like, gosh, if... Love can feel this bad (laughs) um, and this painful, so painful that you don't even want to be alive. Mm -hmm. Is it worth having? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is it worth living? Um, And that fear around loving so deeply and really giving over to yourself, Mm -hmm. um, I just, I think it's... um, it is insane. Mm-hmm. It is crazy. I <laughs> don't insane. know why people do that. I've been married for four years, <clears throat> and sometimes I look at my husband and I just think, I just want to um, take a buzzsaw and just cut <laughs> from your throat down to your pelvis. To make sure I did the job completely. Right. No, not that. So I can crack open your bones, get inside mm-hmm. your torso, and then sew it back up. Okay. So now we can be one person. There we go. There's let me that. let me crawl inside and sew it up right. from the inside. I want to live Let's merge. in you. I'm so obsessed with you. Mm-hmm. And then also, yeah, sometimes I want to keep on sawing and just cut you in half and put <laughs> your body in the L.A. River. Um, so love is crazy. Yeah. Love is totally crazy. And only a society of psychopaths would ever oblige to such a crazy arrangement. And yet we do mm-hmm. every day. Well, in that, in, in my favorite, one of my favorite moments in this movie is when I think they're, because they're hopping through Joel's memory, like mm-hmm. he's getting wiped. He's in the process of getting wiped and Mark Ruffalo and Kirsten Dunst are having like a tryst around him while he's unconscious. <laughs> and they're hopping through his memories because he's decided we're going to hide you in different parts of my mind so they can't mm-hmm. find you to erase you because I regret this decision intensely. And I think it's when they're in the bookstore memory that she starts yelling at him. She says, I'm not a concept, Joel. Mm-hmm. And she's just dragging him for being like, I'm not this screen on which you can project whatever you want me to be. I'm not an idea. Mm-hmm. Too many guys think I'm a concept or I complete them or I'm going to make them alive. I'm just a fucked up girl who's looking for my own peace of mind. Don't assign me yours. I remember that speech really well. And what I found, too, from watching all three of these and like thinking along the lines of this conversation was with these three characters, they they do seem to function as concepts Mm. for men in these movies. Annie is very much a concept Mm -hmm. for Woody that makes him feel better about himself. He's like something, Mm -hmm. an idea he aspires to spend time around Mm -hmm. to make himself feel better. And and the the light and and levity and sort of chaos that comes out of Clementine is something that seems like the very dour Joel is drawn. He's drawn to her light because he feels like he is darkness mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. even in dancer in the dark we have um the character of jeff the lovely tender jeff Aww. who's just repeatedly courting selma throughout the entire movie and even he like he feels this attraction to her and he keeps trying over and over and over again to be closer to her but she really only exists and she never opens herself up to get to know him she mm-hmm. sort of only exists in abstract mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you have these women who are sort of so full of life in their own that they become again it seems like that light that these darker, more dour men can draw to. Mm-hmm. And it feels like, you know, we have, between the two of us, I would imagine, have so many girlfriends who had men who just existed around them because they wanted to extinguish that light by sure. suffocating it. Sure. It's like, oh, what a beautiful thing. I, I hope I could snuff it out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, is that is is that a, at all a part of your story? Like that sense yep. of sort of like that light that you're like, I got to keep this burning in spite of sort of it seems like everything around me trying to like close in and snuff it down. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, 
that experience of feeling like the thing that made someone draw to you is now the thing that they abhor the most. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people can resonate with that experience. What I love about Bjork's performance in Dancer in the Dark mm-hmm. is less so about her relationship with the men in her life yeah. and more with her relationship with her son. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not a mom, but the idea of like truly killing for my child, mm-hmm. um, sacrificing for my child, it just like puts a chill on my bones, the, the thought that I could love something so much that it would mean that. I mean, I, you know, I have a dog who I adore, but if that is even an inth of what it's like to be a mom, <laughs> yeah. which I'm hoping it will be, um, that's pretty intense. <laughs> yeah. um, the other thing I love about Dancer in the Dark is... Um, of course, the music. Uh huh. I, I was mean, going to ask about what your initial exposure was to Dancer in the Dark and how that the story of a of a of a Czech immigrant woman played by Bjork who has uh, come to the United States and we find out over the course of the movie to get you know the sort of end game was to get a medical procedure for her son to prevent him from going blind from this mm-hmm. in, um, congenital disorder that he has <clears throat> and she works in a factory mm-hmm. and her eyesight is going her great passion is musical theater and song and dance and because it is a Lars von Trier movie <laughs> and a worse and worse and worse cascading series of tragedies happened to mm. her leading to an ultimately tragic finale you're very strong I'm not strong I've got little games I play when it goes really hard. When I'm working in the factory. And the machines, they make this rhythms. And I just start dreaming and it all becomes music. This, I mean, I, th- I think that Bjork is an amazing singer. But I think that this body of work, mm-hmm. the album around Dancer in the Dark, to me is far and away not just her best work, but some of the best musical work Mm. I think I've ever heard. Largely because she doesn't just sing. Mm -hmm. She keens. Mm -hmm. She wails. Like, she makes a visceral noise that comes from so, 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 so deep beneath her that it sounds like it's almost like hitting a note is irrelevant. Mm -hmm. If I hit a note, it is inconsequential (laughs) to me (laughs) because my aim is to just get this out, Uh this intense emotional experience mm-hmm. um and again i probably saw this movie when i was in college it was like during that time when you're like oh let's watch all those movies that were cool you yeah, know yeah, and then you totally. watch uh reservoir dogs yeah. and things you know, that made you feel horrible exactly yeah. it's like oh i'm in theater school i'm told i'm supposed to be watching these movies <laughs> yeah. so that was one of them and um yeah again there is just something um quite chaotic about her performance yeah um And it's sort of the antithesis of what you would imagine an actress is Mm -hmm. supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Actresses are supposed to be beautiful. They're supposed to be thin. They're supposed to be youthful. They're supposed to be whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And she's just doing all those things her own way. Mm -hmm. Um, She doesn't seem to be mindful of how her face looks or how her body moves. She's just allowing the story. um, She's allowing herself to be a conduit for the story. Mm -hmm. Well, and tell me, I I would like to hear from you that a bit about sort of being – um, you know, finding finding a connection in or or feeling the resonance of these characters that are kind of uh, sort of a mess, sort of like these mess. swirling mm-hmm. chaos centers mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that like they make they they are the beauty in their own chaos. But what is 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 there anything to that for you? Because there's such intense characters, all three of them. There's so much to that. I mean, I, I think. You know, there are some actors who are like, I'm method, I'm method, which is the reason why I beat the people I work with. And it's (laughs) like, I don't know if that's method or you're just maybe a maniac. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But uh, so, yeah, I'm definitely not in that camp. But I do like to um, work with actors and I like to feel like I'm the sort of actor who um, allows the person I'm in the story with, Mm -hmm. you know, the other actor, Mm -hmm. to inform what happens next. Mm -hmm. Um, So even though I say A, you say B, I say C, you say D, you know, we're not going to change the lines on on the script supervisor. But what I think is important is, just like in this conversation, Mm -hmm. I'm feeding off of what you're giving me. Right, right. And that energy between the two of us, the four feet between the two of us, Mm -hmm. is 
kinetic. It's alive. Yeah. It's filled with electrons and neutrons. It's alive and real. Hi, I'm on a science show. <laughs> I learned about <laughs> electrons recently, and now I'm going to mention them. You absolutely should. What is this knowledge for if You're not for right. sharing with Mitochondria, the world? Mitochondria, girl. It's everywhere. <laughs> it's everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, so, yeah, I think uh, the sort of idea of doing a canned performance that I've cooked up in my room or in my trailer and I've bottled it up and I can't wait to get to set and just pour it all over you guys. You're so lucky I've been working so hard on this lisp or this limp. Like, who cares? (laughs) Yeah, work on your lisp, work on your limp. But then once you get to set, you got to kind of throw that shit out Mm. and just be present Mm -hmm. with the other folks in the scene. Mm -hmm. Um, There are sometimes you do a scene with someone and it's almost like, I could just strip butt naked and mm-hmm. start singing Mary Had a Little Lamb and you would not change one thing about <laughs> your performance. You are stuck on you. Right, yeah. And that to me is just so boring. And so I think, um, you know, as a young person and then later as a young actor um, and as a young acting student, mm-hmm. seeing performances that felt to me just so alive, mm-hmm. um, electric, like like the third rail in the New York City metro, just mm-hmm. like don't touch that. Yeah, <laughs> um, it feels. I, I don't know. I'm I'm drawn to it, mm-hmm. um, and I I hope to continue to be that sort of actor. And then I have good days and bad days. You know, yeah. some days, no matter how hard I try, I'm just like, oh god, I can't get out of my own way. Mm-hmm. But then there are moments. I mean, there's a moment in season one um, where I am having a a conversation at the Outpost Bar. I'm talking to Gordo and I'm talking to my husband Clayton who's Mm -hmm. just returned from um, from Vietnam. And it was a tough day. Um, It was an emotional day. Um, You know, I'm working with um, Edwin who Edwin Hodge is an amazing actor, incredibly talented. I'm working with Michael Dorman who's amazing and incredible and these guys are kicking ass left and right and mm-hmm. I feel like I am just I am a human shit stain in this scene and like, you know, <laughs> can the camera get off of me and back onto them? And I remember um in between setups pulling Michael Dorman to the side and I was like I had tears in my eyes and I was like, "Michael, I am really doing bad today. I don't I don't know what the hell is wrong with me. I love this scene. I was so excited about this scene. And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if you've ever had this experience as a kid where you're, like, so excited about a slumber party and then you throw up when you get there. And you're just like, damn it. I've been looking forward to this all week, Sarah. Yeah. It's your birthday, but it meant a lot to me. And now I'm throwing up. My mom's going to come get me. God damn, I blew it. I, I blew it. never get invited to another sleepover. I know exactly what you is, mean. This is now my lot in life, the girl who threw up. Um, so, so here I am. You know, I've got the yips, as mm-hmm. my husband would yes, say. I've got yes. the yips. And Michael pulls me to the side, and he's like, hey, um, you're fine. Mm-hmm. You're doing really well. <laughs> um, everything you've done so far has been so good that literally everything you do from here on out mm-hmm. is just gravy. Mm-hmm. We already have the scene. Yeah. And he didn't chastise me. He mm. didn't reprimand me. He didn't say stop crying. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went back in there and we did the scene. And this is what I talk about with the electricity. I said to myself, like, I've already fucked up so much. There's nothing more I could do than to just be here and do the best I can. Mm-hmm. So we're doing the scene and it's getting really activated. And I go to stand up to grab my purse. And as I do, the table knocks and a glass falls off the table and shatters glass mm-hmm. everywhere. And I look at the glass and I like look at Michael and and I look at Edwin and it's for a moment it was no longer Danielle, you know, being in the story. Now it's Chris thinking, oh, my God, I thought I couldn't ruin this day more. And (laughs) now I broke a glass on set. Instead, I just I just looked up and I just said, God damn it. (laughs) And just grabbed my purse and walked out of the scene. And that was the take that they used. (laughs) Because you know what? I was frustrated. Uh I was anxious. I was overwhelmed. And also so is Danielle. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Danielle is so excited to see her husband. She's so excited to have her husband meet her boss. She's excited 
to be going to the moon. Yeah. <laughs> and now she's just fucking everything up at this drinks. Yeah. And she's knocked over one a, of the most benign things exactly, she's going to do in this show about exactly. going to space. And she's knocked this table and a glass is shattered. And then in this moment, her response is, God damn it. Yeah. And so yeah, I'm not encouraging actors to break glass on set. But what I am saying is that it's important to trust, mm-hmm. trust the process, trust the other actors in the scene. And uh, that aliveness, I couldn't have manufactured it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I it couldn't could only have thought be it through in the trailer. I couldn't have worked on it at home. I couldn't have studied it in the scene study class. I just had to be there with these guys, with my cast. Mm-hmm. And it all panned out. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be back with more Chris Marshall. Max Fun Drive 2022 starts in just one week. Monday, April 25th. We'll have exclusive Max Fun Drive gifts, awesome episodes, bonus content, and you know what else? You'll just have to tune in. We have some tricks up our sleeve. Sleeves? Tricks? Is it plural? We'll catch you next week. The greatest time to support the podcasts you love. Max Fun Drive starts on Monday, April 25th. Don't miss it. If you're sick of constantly arguing with the people closest to you about topics that really aren't going to change the world, we're here to take that stress off of your shoulders. We take care of it for you on We Got This with Mark and Hal. That's right, Hal. If you have a subjective question that you want answered objectively once and for all time for all of the people of the world, questions like, who's the best Disney villain, Mac or PC, or should you put ketchup on a hot dog? That's why we're here. Yes, I get that these are the biggest questions of our time, and we're often joined by special guests like Nathan Fillion, Orlando Jones, and Paget Brewster. So let Mark and Hal take care of it for you on We Got This with Mark and Hal, weekly on Maximum Fun. Welcome back to Feeling Scene. I'm your host, Jordan Cruciola, and my co-host today is actor Chris Marshall. Let's get right back into our conversation. And now I, I I I read a bit from you like I've heard you talk of like you know dealing with the monster of imposter syndrome a bit yeah honey. And, and then and then also talking <laughs> about like how this has been on for all mankind specifically it's been a really collaborative mm-hmm. environment for you to do your work and I wondered how how does that sort of the battle with imposter syndrome how is that affected in one way or another by by being in a an environment that fosters that kind of collaboration like Mm, mm -hmm. do you find that like can you work around that more is it do you find ways to neutralize it or is it sort of like no this is just a bitch that I'm just gonna have to deal with like all the time um hmm I saw uh, I read a quote from um, Michelle Obama that essentially said um, the interviewer asked her what's it like to be in rooms and in conversations with these intelligent men who mm-hmm. are heads of state and super powerful, you know, the leaders of the free world. And, and her response was, well, not a lot of them are all that intelligent. <laughs> um, and so I think for me, there was such a feeling of I'm on the outside, mm. they're on the inside. Mm. Um, I remember like, you know, working on shows in the past and just thinking to myself, um, this person who's number one on the call sheet, he has been given a gift yeah. by God. Okay. And I never got that gift. Mm. So my lot in life is to just be this supplemental character and that's all I'll ever be. Mm. Um, I really had a very limiting belief of what my abilities were, even though I had you know, studied and I'm a good actor. In my mind, there was just this thought that some folks got it, some folks don't, mm-hmm. and I don't. Um, one thing that's been amazing with this process, with working on For All Mankind, is that um, I have to hand it to Ron Moore, who is our showrunner. Ron Moore, got battle classic king of, kind of guy. Battlestar Galactica, the man who brought you the Outlander TV show, Ronald D. Moore, we appreciate you. Ron's amazing. And he talked about that early on in the process, in the table reads, just saying, you know, there's no space for ego here. Mm. 
There's no, you know, kings and queens and all that sort. Like, we're all in this together. And he continued to reaffirm that. It's easy to just say it once Mm -hmm. and then later flip it. Um, But he continued to reaffirm that. So it created an environment where I could email Ron and say, hey, Mm. I have a question about this. You Mm. know, can we talk about this scene? Or I could talk to Matt and Ben, who are our other showrunners, and say, hey, I I actually don't think that this jives with who I imagine her to be. Can we discuss what your thoughts were on this? And so I got the chance to not just sort of show up and do my work and leave, mm-hmm. but become a part of the creative process as a whole. So whether it's like how Danielle wears her hair or mm-hmm. her makeup or let's have a further discussion about wardrobe and the scene, she's very guarded. I think she should be wearing long sleeves. The scene, she's in a casual home environment. I think she should be in shorts, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, but I think it is such a blessing as an actor to get the chance to play in this kind of world where um, the best ideas are lobbed up Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter who they come from. Right. And I see that happen all the time on set. I'll see, you know, a lower level uh, lighting technician at Grip turn to the DP and say, hey, I think that we should maybe do this. And then it's glommed onto and we make adjustments. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that the ego is out of the way and what matters most is to make great work. Mm -hmm. The reason all of this connects back to the conversation about representation to me is because, like, you know, as you were saying, talking about Annie Holliday, you're like, I'm not a 5'10 white woman. And, you know, you're not a tiny Icelandic white woman in the case of Bjork right. or, or you know, a, a British white woman in, in the form of Kate Winslet. And, you know, talking about feeling like these people, these leads, they got mm-hmm. this gift that I don't have. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm the supporting character and that's mm-hmm. what, I'm the supporting role and that's what I'm going to be. The ability to be a part of the authorship of your own role. Yeah. Even if you are in a, like, literally supporting capacity, it allows you to be a part of a story that has been so out of the hands of women, black women, dark-skinned black women for so long and and be like, I am a part of now of writing this, not just bringing it to life through the lens of somebody else's imagination, (laughs) regardless of what they may or may not know about my experience. And I, I wanted to talk about the empowerment of authorship in being, like, intersectionally at a place where you're choosing between 5'10 white women a lot of the mm-hmm, time. Mm-hmm. Particularly, like, growing up, these movies, all these important movies in college right. people are telling you to see. Imagine you're getting a lot of 5'10 white women to choose from. Sure. I don't know how that informs your desire to work in that capacity as author going forward. And create those, like, examples that aren't 5'10 white women for, for people now. First of all, Jordan, again, <laughs> fucking thank you. <laughs> For a number of reasons. First of all, thank you for acknowledging that not only am I a black woman, but that I'm a dark-skinned black woman Mm -hmm. because that in itself Mm -hmm. has a whole other host of um, expectations, judgments, um, prejudices against it that we could take another hour to talk about. Oh, my God, yeah. Yeah, that's part two, guys. Thank you for noticing. Um, and thank you for not saying I don't see color because I fucking hate when people say that. It's like <laughs> I think it would be, really. I, I, it would. Do be... you know the difference between tater tots and French fries? <laughs> cool. Both potatoes. Well, different. That's, that's just one of the dumbest yeah. white people You're bullshit. That don't like do it, that. like yes. So when we're talking about representation and talking about my sort of authorship, mm-hmm. um, you know, growing up, like you mentioned with these movies that I picked today. The characters, the the type of women that they played Mm -hmm. are the things that I responded to. Mm. But their visual aesthetic had nothing to do with me. Totally. Um, And I think about other movies that I thought about mentioning, like, um, you know, 500 Days of Summer. And now these sort of like, oh, cute, like, you know, meet cute kind of interesting women movies. Mm -hmm. Um, Very rarely, I really can't think of any that include women that look like me. Right. Um, So often, if you are a black woman or if you're a dark-skinned black woman or even step further, a dark-skinned black woman with natural hair, Mm -hmm. you get to play a slave. Mm -hmm. Ooh, girl, you can play a slave (laughs) and that's all you'll play. (laughs) And here's your buffet of slave roles to play. Come and get them. Yeah. So there is nothing wrong with playing a slave. No. But my experience every day living, 
my experience growing up was an MTV experience. Yeah. It was a VH1 experience. Mm-hmm. Like I grew up in mixed race communities. I went to liberal arts school. Like I was exposed to um, Aaliyah as much as I was exposed to Nirvana. Mm-hmm. You know, like the music that, that I was steeped in, the mm-hmm. environment that I came from is a truly like late 90s, early 2000s American experience. Totally. And so the movies that, that we're talking yeah, you're, you're about... you're listing off my experience. Exactly. <laughs> right. You're wearing a Scream t-shirt right now. Yeah. <laughs> I love that movie when I was in school. So it is so unfortunate for me to have this experience, which is really deep and really rich and very much alive mm-hmm. and not that different from... I'm sure the upbringing of Blake Lively or anybody else who grew up in a middle class family in America. However, as a black woman, I am exempted from that part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. I am told that I can either play a slave or I can play um, a strong black woman uh, 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 like Halle Berry and Losing Isaiah. Or I can maybe play a love interest like Halle Berry and Boomerang. (laughs) Um, But the story that I'm talking about, the stories that I've resonated with that are a part of our conversation with Annie Hall and Clementine and Selma Mm -hmm. are weirdos and freaks and strange. And I mean, I'm really racking my brain to try to think of examples of that for black women. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there are so many black actresses like um, Zoe Saldana mm-hmm. and um, you know Rosario Dawson who are incredible and who have dipped into those worlds. Mm-hmm. But I'm talking about the true, you know, like Daria, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. There just isn't a lot of that. Yeah. And so for me, I think that my work as an actor is, of course, paramount. That's mm-hmm. why I'm here. That's why we're having this conversation. But I think my work as a Chris is to remind other little black girls who look like me mm-hmm. that it's okay to be like this. Mm-hmm. It's okay to like boys and girls or be mm-hmm. pansexual. It's okay to um, to talk white, whatever that even <laughs> means, yeah. you know. It's okay to like Nirvana and also like, you know, SWV, Mm -hmm. like the world is broad and wide and outstretching and black women are not a monolith. Mm -hmm. We're not just one note. Mm -hmm. Um, We aren't just strong. We aren't just determined. We aren't just Southern. Mm -hmm. Um, And so one of the things I really love about playing Danielle Poole is her affinity for TV. (laughs) You know, she's a real TV enthusiast. She's a nerd and one of her favorite shows, Bob Newhart. Mm -hmm. And she can, you know, so it's like, then she's able to both season two and season three, she does it as well, where she quotes Star Trek every yeah. chance she gets. She's just a geek. Um, there are black Trekkies. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. There are black nerds. Mm-hmm. So that's that's my political platform. Black nerd 2024. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it's important to me that yeah. there that there are um that there are representatives, mm-hmm. you know. And I remember like again being young and seeing like Tracy Chapman and being yeah. like, oh wow, that's that's cool. She's doing this different. Like, she's a folk singer. Mm-hmm. I think there's definitely more of that sort of nuance in music. Um, but I just wish that there was more in TV. Mm-hmm. Well, in, you know, it, starting your career, like, around the mid-aughts, I, I am I'm something of an informal, like, 2000s-era historian. And <laughs> what a wasteland of diversity. Yeah. Is there, you know, I want progress to match rhetoric, but I'm not yeah. in it. I don't know. Is there a difference, at least in the variety of material you feel like you are presented with now for opportunities? Okay, you do. Yes. Yes. Thank God. Yes. Um, uh, At this, I had done season one, but we hadn't been picked up for season two yet. Right. And so I had an audition for Severance. Oh. And it was um, just one of the most groundbreaking scripts I had ever read. Mm. It was for the role of Heli. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then once the show came out, you know, it got delayed, delayed, delayed. Um, but once the show came out and I saw the actress who played it, I was like, oh, she's perfect. Yeah. Um, but Heli's a weirdo. Uh-huh. And she's sort of strange. And, you know, I hope for your audience who hasn't seen the show, you guys should go and see Severance. Not just because I'm an Apple show, but because <laughs> Severance is just fucking amazing. And it just got, it just got picked up for season two. So damn so good. So you're investing 
investing in your your past self and your future self. So damn good. Um, but yes, I think I've got really great representation mm-hmm. agents and managers who great. understand me intimately and are presenting me with roles that make sense for who I am Thank internally God. more so than just, oh, she fits this type. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so yes. And then I think additionally, casting directors and studios are beginning to colorblind cast, which I even hate saying that phrase. Right, but, right, right. Right. But they're starting to do that and they're starting to say, okay, guess what? She is, um, you know, emotionally bereft Mm -hmm. or she is a cancer survivor or she is a single mother. She could be any of these women. Mm -hmm. She could be Sandra Oh. She could be this. She could be that. And so... I love seeing stories where it's not so linear. Mm-hmm. It's not like, oh, the husband is white, so then the wife is also white. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I am I'm seeing that. The other thing I think is a real plus is, you know, in the last, I guess, really the last like six or seven years, there's just been this deluge of streaming television. God, yeah. So I think some of the old norms of what makes a successful TV show Mm -hmm. were really codified by network TV. Mm -hmm. No shade in network TV, but it's a different formula. Totally. Um, With streaming, and of course cable's been around forever, but with so many, you know, not just Apple, but of course Amazon's got theirs, and Netflix, and Hulu. It's infinite. There's too many to name them all. And Spectrum, and Exactly, and then IMDb's got their own TV thing now. So there is uh, so much out there mm-hmm. that now there are more opportunities. Yeah. And so I think some of the classic choices mm-hmm. maybe got gobbled up. And so now because of a supply and demand situation, mm-hmm. it's a, a damn supply chain that's getting us every time. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> but uh, there are now more opportunities for okay. everybody, okay. which I think is great. But just reminding the world that stories can be told by so many different types of people. Chris Marshall, thank you so much for joining us today, is there anything you would like to send people off with, direct them to something, let them know about something? The only thing I want to just leave off with is that you are infinitely smarter than I will ever be. So thank you for having this conversation with me. I feel like I've got pit sweat here just trying to keep up with the genius in this room. Um, And yeah, the only only directive is just watch season three, because if you liked the show before, you're going to freaking really like it. And the other thing I'll say is... um, don't get too attached to anybody. That's all I'll say. Okay. Okay. <laughs> On that brutal parting note, Chris Marshall, thank you for joining us today. This has been really fun. Thanks, man. Thanks so much to Chris Marshall for that delightful conversation, which perhaps you could tell by the tremendous audio quality. We were able to record in person at MaxFun HQ, which is always such an exciting bonus in these pandemic-tinged times. The first two seasons, as you should now know, of For All Mankind are available on Apple TV+, and you have until June 10 to catch up all the way before season three starts. Okay, and now I've got that one quick thing before I go. And that one quick thing is about Robert Eggers' most recent film, uh, now playing to some degree of wideness across the United States, The Northman, starring Alexander Skarsgård and Anya Taylor-Joy and Klaus Bang and Nicole Kidman and Thin as... as um. Gawker once described, I believe it was Kate Bosworth and I think Alexander Skarsgård as thin, tall people from thin, tall places. And I think that's an accurate description here. We have icy blondes abound in this, like, this movie is, (laughs) this movie is so goddamn metal. Like, Robert Eggers, as you know, if you watch any of his work, The Witch, The Lighthouse, and now this, is a meticulous man. I once interviewed Robert Eggers about The Witch uh, when that was coming out. He's, you know, he's brand new. He's he's doing the press rounds. He's talking to everybody. Um, talked to me at Wired. Absolutely no reason for him to be talking to Wired, but he made like an hour and a half for me. It was wonderful. We talked about like the the production design specificity of what he was going for to reflect an accurate 1600s New England homestead that this family would be living in in his movie. And he was so miffed. 
He was so miffed because I think almost the entire movie is done in natural light. He was so irritated with himself that in one scene around the dinner table, the family has to eat uh, around a three wick candle to provide light for the room. And what was upsetting him about that was that three wick candles uh, were not appropriate for the era, but he simply had to use one to provide enough light to shoot that scene. So that's where, that's how in the details Robert Eggers is getting in, is getting. And he wrote The Northman with a co-writer named Sion. And this is a Viking tale of mysticism and revenge. This is about a young prince, Amleth, played by Alexander Skarsgård, whose father is slaughtered father ethan hawk is slaughtered by a usurper and he flees his uh small uh oceanside like little kingdom that he's the prince of because he needs to survive he needs to survive and he's got his Arya stark kill list he's going to avenge his father he's going to kill the usurper he's going to rescue his mom and we cut to decades later basically and this guy has grown into the warrior nightmare that is alexander skarsgård this is this is uh skarsgård bigger than he ever was as the other northman you famously know him as eric northman um from the true blood series he's bigger than eric northman in this movie and this movie guys this is bloody as hell. It's not like constant, but there's a lot of combat. There's a lot of fighting. And when it happens, it is like unsparingly savage. I won't say when or how it happens, but there's a moment when a knife goes into a man's face in this movie where the collective crowd reaction in a press screening and press screenings are like famously buttoned up like everybody's kind of reserving their reactions and it's a bunch of jaded journalists so they're pretty muted people were like oh my god and like shifting in their seats there was yelling um we it was a reactive audience among a group of people that i can tell you are not uh traditionally reactive uh it's also mystical and strange and it is dirty and it is muddy and it is bloody and it is it's so much fun. And if you liked the kind of like uh, roguish down and dirtiness of the lighthouse, but you were maybe you were like, I don't know, this roommate drama um, between Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson and whatever's going on with this seagull. This isn't really my thing. I mean, it's a little too esoteric, but like I respect what's going on here. If you were like, I just I just want some bloody knuckles and some broken bones and a guy prowling through the landscape to take vengeance for uh, for wrongs done to him, the Northman kicks ass. The Northman kicks ass, and it's a wonderful story. There's some narrative surprises. Anya Taylor-Joy, very cool as always. Uh, and there's a, a whole naked fight. There's a whole naked fight. Yeah, I'm not spoiling anything. You can kind of see it in the trailer. I'm not going to tell you where or when it happens. But, like, you know, I think we've all, since Eastern Promises, been waiting for some like gloves off um uh, brawl for all gritty battle uh in the nude with with big strong men it's happening here it's happening now it's happening in the northman so uh go check out this movie i walked out of the press screening and i walked into the hallway of the theater just going fuck yeah fuck yeah fuck yeah fuck yeah and that was how the movie made me feel it's rock and roll and i hope you guys like it and join me on the other side on twitter and let's talk about it because i'm a fan and that is our show for today. You can follow us on Twitter at Feeling Scene Pod or join our Facebook group at www.facebook.com slash groups slash Feeling Scene Pod. You can also send us an email at feelingscene at maximumfun.org. If you want to follow me, I'm Crew on Twitter. That's J-O-R-C-R-U. Our theme music is by Andrew Epen. The show is produced by Marissa Flaxbart. Our senior producers are Kevin Ferguson and Laura Swisher. And this is a production of Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.